Today we're going to continue uh, in our Kingdom Manifesto message series. And I told, I told our, our team this week, I was like, this has probably been my favorite message series that we have done since we've been attending uh, Northwood. I, I think it's just, it's a beautiful message series that just continues to go verse by verse and just plow through these three chapters. We're on week 13, guys. <laughs> week 13 of going through three chapters out of the Bible. And I love that we're at a church like Northwood that we get an opportunity to, to actually dive into the Bible. We've gone through, through chapters of the Bible. We've gone through uh, the Beatitudes. We've gone through uh, books of the Bible. We've gone through a lot of different things biblically. But to go through this kind of um, what it's like to be a Christian scenario that Jesus is teaching in these three chapters, it's just been a beautiful, beautiful scenario. It's been beautiful to see and to experience and do that. And it's, it's been awesome to go through it. And we're kind of coming down to the end. We have one more week after this uh, that we're going to finish in this series. But today we're going to be ending Jesus' words. Today we're ending Jesus' words of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the, these are the last few things that Jesus actually says in this message. And he, we've been confronted throughout this message. We've been confronted. We've been challenged. We've been instructed. We've been encouraged We've talked about two treasures. We've talked about two ambitions, two gates, two roads. We've talked about these two different polar opposites that he's talked about all throughout these three chapters. But today we're going to talk about two foundations. Two foundations. Foundations are important, right? Especially here in South Mississippi where if you dig a hole, it fills up with water in like five minutes. If that, right? You dig a hole, there's just, oh, there comes water. That's right. You go in one place and it's just nothing but mushy clay. You go in one place, it's all sand. You go in one place, it's just like a sponge. Down here, foundations are important. It's hugely important how we build a house. And I'm a contractor by trade. I, I see this all the time where we put a house and then things start to settle and things start to move. Foundations are important on how the house and how the structure stays and how strong this house is. It's an important thing. And you, again, it sounds cliche. It should probably sound like, well, I already know this. But without a firm foundation, the structure will fall. It will fall. There's, there's no questions. It's just a matter of when. If that foundation is not proper, if it's not built right, if it's not poured right, if it's not laid right, it will fall. It's just a matter of when. It's just a matter of what storm will come by. It's just a matter of what situation comes by to when that structure will fail. In Jesus' last words there, his, he's presenting this pros and cons scenario of good foundations and bad foundations. And he's sharing this with us here in Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. Let's read that. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And great was the fall. I love how I mean, the message paraphrase kind of sets this up in verse 24. It says these, it says this, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Everything that I've told you, that I've talked to you thus far in these, in these chapters, they're not just incidental additions to your life. They're not homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. 
That's powerful. He's, this whole entire message that Jesus has, has crafted, I mean, he, I, I, I wonder because as, as, a, as a communicator, I get to craft this message. I pray. I studied my Bible. I read commentaries. We get together in, in meetings, and, and we all the different locations, we're preaching the same message. We come together, and we share, and we, we talk, and we, all, we build, and we craft this, this message. And that's what we do here to provide a message for you. But Jesus is standing on the side of a mountain, <laughs> and he just delivers all of this just out of his heart, out of, out of, just out of everything that he is. He's delivering this message. And it's amazing to me how much is coming out of this. And he's saying that, you know what, these are foundational words, I'm telling you. This wasn't just incidental additions that I just want to talk to you about. These are foundational words that you can build your life on. That's what this entire message is about, of giving you guys, giving you guys a firm foundation, something that you can hold on to. And it's pretty straightforward, cut and dry words that Jesus is saying here. Hey, if you don't listen to what I say and what we're telling you, you are a foolish man. Builds his house on the sand. If you will listen to these words and hear them and you will do them, you are like a wise man who builds your house upon the rock. It's not very complicated to, to really understand. He's telling us very straightforward exactly what's going on. And he's kind of giving us really three kind of points or three things or, that he's trying to tell us in these few verses. Number one, that Jesus is giving us a choice. Jesus is giving us a choice. When you hear the words of Jesus, when you hear these words that he's saying, when you listen to the words, when you read your Bible, when you hear the words that's coming from one of the communicators, one of our pastors here, when you hear these words, you have the responsibility of choosing. You have the responsibility of choosing. That's what he told the people there. Hey, if you will hear this and you will do this, this is your choice whether or not to hear and to do. You have a choice. You have the responsibility to choose. It's kind of like we talk when we talk about the Old Testament, when we talk about Joshua and the people of Israel. The Israelites were a stubborn people. They were stubborn people. They had grown up, a lot of them wandering in the desert for, for years because it was a punishment from the Lord because they had turned their backs on God after God had rescued them from 400 years of slavery. They were grumbling, they were complaining. Joshua later became one of the 12 spies of Israel that was sent by Moses on a recon mission to the land of Canaan, which was the promised land. Things got sideways. People began to question. People began to doubt. After the death of Moses, Joshua successfully led the Israelite tribe in the conquest of this promised land. And when Joshua became a leader, he calls on Israel. He says, you know, will you follow the Lord? Will you follow the Lord? During this time, he takes on this verbal history journey. These are all the things that have happened. You know what have happened. You know what God's brought us through. You know what God's done for us. You know how he rescued us from slavery. And then he systematically takes them down through this. And then he says very simply in Joshua 24, 15, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Many of you have this, may have this little written on a piece of pallet wood somewhere, a piece of little driftwood or some kind of whitewashed board sitting in the dining room somewhere or over the threshold of a doorway or something. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's kind of the same scenario that Jesus is saying, hey, I've told you all these things. I've, I've brought all these things to you. Now you may have a choice. You have a choice. 
to make in this decision. And some people want to recuse themselves from this responsibility. Some people want to kind of step back from the, I don't, you know, recuse themselves from this responsibility, but recusing yourself from choice and making that decision is a choice. Stepping away from that and not choosing to make a choice is a choice in and of itself, and it doesn't absolve you from the responsibility that you have to make a decision and to make a choice in life, whether to listen to these words or whether to ignore these words, to hear them and to do them or to hear them and to let them pass by. That is the responsibility we have and the choice that we have. And it becomes very straightforward. In some, in some ways, this message becomes hard because we're really telling people, hey, listen, you've got a choice to make. But it's also an encouraging one because I'm, we are delivering truth to you guys. We're delivering the truth that there is one way and there is this, this way. You make the choice. It's that simple. We don't, I don't want to, to it, I, would be, I would be in the wrong if I were not to tell you that there, there's somewhere in the middle. I would be in the wrong if I were to tell you there's a way to kind of skate by. But the reality is the Bible is clear that there is the wise way to hear the words of God and to build your house upon that and to do that. And there's a foolish way to hear the words of God and to build your house upon a sand to where that everything that would come by, that it would just wash away. Number two, Jesus tells us to be hearers and doers of the word. He's telling us to be hearers and to do doers and this is kind of a hard thing for us sometimes. Uh, you saw in that video there, and I was kind of you know, reminded in way that we are a world that is distracted. We are distracted people. We are just overwhelmed. I, I, and I'm, I'm guilty. I am 100% guilty. So when I go into a restaurant with my wife, I make sure that my back is turned towards all the busyness because I'm I'm distracted. <laughs> I'm, I want to focus on my wife, so I try to position myself at that table to where she is my focus, because I know I'm going to get distracted. We get distracted by these phones. These things are just, I just want to chunk it sometimes. <laughs> it is such a distraction. I mean, I even have it on my watch. I'm a contractor, so I, I bought this watch. So if I'm on top of a ladder, I don't have to go funneling for a phone, so I can, oh, I'll ignore that and deal with it later. You know, something, I, and but I'm like, sometimes I just want to take this thing off and chunk it because it's such a distraction. We get to where we hear words and we hear things and we read things and we're so distracted that we can't start to internalize that. We can't get into the place where we start to really bring that because we're so distracted with all the things that are happening. We have to understand that there's an importance to come that comes when we hear the word and pay attention and to critically think through this thing and to look through this thing and to seek out and to learn from what is being taught to us. We have to be able to listen to these words. We have to be able to, to, to comprehend the words that we read in our Bible and think through them and not just kind of go in one ear and out the other ear. Come on. We get to a place where it's so distracting to us that we, we're not able to internalize that. And it's hugely important that in, in, a, in a gathering like this, in a place where, where we are in prayer, in a place where we are reading our Bible, whatever the, the situation and the, 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 the place might be, that we can take all these things that God is speaking to us, take all that God is sharing to us, whether it be through prayer or through reading or through worship and corporate worship or through a message, that we can take those things and we can think through them and we can internalize them and apply them to our life. Because now it has to be an action. As a contractor, I can teach a guy how to lay flooring. And I teach my guys quick ways. I like things to be very quick. 
You know, you can do flooring and you can lay flooring and you can take out a measuring tape and you can measure and you can lay it down and you can get you an actual cutter and, and a cutter that will cut this piece of laminate flooring for you. So you can get down on your hands and knees and you can measure these things out and measure, okay, it's this much. Then you can get up and you can take it over here and you can go to your cutter and you can apply it and you can do this here. For me, that takes a lot of time. It's a great way to do it. It's a wonderful way to do it. But for me, I can teach a guy to come down here, flip this thing over, take your knife, cut it, flip it over, knock it in, and you're done. That's how I'm teaching my guys, hey, there's, here's a really quick way to do it. If you can understand how this is done, here is a quick way to do this. It'll make this process so much easier for you. And it'll make it easier for you to do it, make it quicker for you, and you won't have to do a whole lot of get up and down to all these different things. Did, did every single person that's ever worked for me follow that? No. <laughs> no, they didn't. Do all of them work for me anymore? <laughs> I'm not going to answer that one. I'm not telling them that there's, I'm not going to fire somebody ever necessarily over doing it the wrong way. But I am teaching people there are better ways. And when I come back into that room an hour later and I still see them beating their head against the wall, doing something that's taking too long, or be, beating their head against the wall, not figuring out, like, man, did you apply what I taught you? Did you apply what I showed you on how to do this? Did you apply this? Did you hear and did you apply this to your life? And that's what Jesus is saying. Did you hear these words that I'm teaching you? Did you apply it to your life? And did you make actions from this? James 1, verse 22, he says it very simply. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves. Say simply reading or even studying God's word does not profit you. Reading and just studying God's word does not profit you anything. Being in this building right here doesn't necessarily profit you if you don't, don't internalize that and apply it to your life. If we don't obey what it says, if we listen to God's word and not just to know it, but we got to do it. We have to take this word and then apply it to our lives. We'd be fooling ourselves if we were thinking that just because we know something and because we have knowledge of it, that that's all there is to it. We'd be fooling of ourselves. You know what? I've read the Bible all the way through and give ourselves this little pat on the back. We'd be fooling ourselves if we think, I know Scripture, but yet you do not apply that Scripture. You're only deceiving yourselves in the idea that you know it, but you have not applied it. Worthwhile, you know, knowledge of the situation, worthwhile knowledge of God's Word and what He's saying is great, but that's what comes before the actions. And God's Word, His Word that you hear, that you read, can only grow in the soil of obedience. God's word can only grow in the soil of obedience. It can only grow when you will take these words and you will be obedient and apply them to your life. That's where God's word begins to grow into your life, where you will take what you hear, take what you have studied, take what you have. Well, you guys get together in these in small groups, how you learn together. Take all these things, apply it, and put this into action in your life. That is when God's word begins to grow in your life. Lastly, Jesus is saying that storms will test the foundation of your life. Storms will test that foundation. Proverbs 10, 25, when the tempest or the whirlwind or the overflowing rain passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. When that whirlwind comes and when that overflowing rain comes, the wicked, that will no longer be. The foundation is destroyed, but the righteousness, that will be established forever. It will stay. It will remain. 
you will have tough times. I wish I could stand up here and be like, hey, guys, everything's going to be wonderful in your life. Everything's going to be great. But when things shift in your life, when you lose that child at an early age, when you're going through a health condition that is just taking everything from you, when that job fails and you lose that job and your ability to provide for your family is now taken away and is no longer there, things will happen. Your foundation is going to be tested. What you are standing on is, is being able to be tested because family, things will happen. There will be tragedy. There will be situations. There will be health things that happen. Things will happen and we will test your foundation. And we think about these students. They're, I'm seeing all throughout Facebook and social media, all these students. That we were, at, we were at, um, in Hattiesburg the other day and, and at a restaurant and you know, students walk in with their graduation cap coming on. And stats say that half of the Christian students will leave their faith when they engage in college life. It's a scary thought. Half of the students will, will, will leave their faith when they engage in college life. This happens when they, when they come from a situation where their family loves Jesus and their family raises them in Jesus and their family raises them in a cult, Christian culture and they come to church and they're in an environment where their biblical belief is the majority and now they take off on their own and they go to college where biblical belief is now the minority. What happens? Their faith is tested. Many of them, their faith is only actually based upon their parents' faith. That's why it's important for you to teach your children how to establish their own faith. It's important that you teach your students how to, to understand Jesus and understand the words of Jesus and understand why they believe and why we do what we do. Why do we go to church? Why are we in church? Why is it important that we listen to, to good music? Why is it important that we don't put things in front of us that we don't need to be putting in front of us? Why are all these things important? Because this is what Jesus tells us to do. This is how Jesus, Jesus teaches us to live, to live a holy life, to live a pure life, to live for him, to honor him. It's important that we teach them these things so that their foundation can be solid. So their foundation can be solid. I love that we, we have taught our children to pray the Lord's Prayer when they go to bed at night. And I can't tell you how many times my daughter has looked at me and said, what does this mean, Daddy? What does this mean to forgive us of our trespasses? What does this mean? And we get to teach them that forgiving of their trespasses, forgive me of my sin, forgive me of the wrong that I've done. Well, Daddy, what does it mean to forgive others? It means you have to forgive other people that sin against you, that hurt you, that harm you. And we get to teach them these things. You have to build the foundation for our children because things will come, whether it's college, whether it's a situation at school, whether it's a situation at home, their faith will be tested. And many of us were trying to, to build a life that minimizes pain, and we're trying to maximize comfort at what we do. That's what we're all trying to do, right? We're all trying to minimize our pain. We're trying to maximize comfort of life. We want to drive a nice car. We want to have a solid bank account. We want to have a nice home. All these things are wonderful and great. All of these things are good, but storms in life will happen. Storms will happen. You, will, you may lose that job, and now your ability to pay for that house is gone. What will life look like? What, how will life continue for you? How will all these things go on? Because it will happen and the reality of the storms of life is going to happen, but a stable life and a stable heart starts with that stable foundation. It starts with a stable foundation in Jesus Christ. Corey Ten Boone says it this way. He says, in order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. 
in order to realize the worth, the value of that anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. You would never have any faith in that anchor if you hadn't actually realized that it will do what it will do. I'm not a boater. It doesn't really even make sense to me that you can just drop an anchor and this boat just stays there. It doesn't make sense to me. I have this weird, like I remember seeing this boat when I was a kid and being on it. And it's just this little piece of metal with this little flap that like, how does that hold this big old ship from going somewhere? Or this big anchor that you see, you know, the little typical anchor picture. These, like, how does this hold this ship from going somewhere? But it does. I kind of understand it. I can make sense of it. But it's still, I would think that the, the stress and the, the momentum of this, this boat, of this thing was there. But once I've been a part of it, once I see it, and once I realize that, I can begin to understand that no matter the storm, that anchor does hold. It does hold. So what does life building, a, building a life on sand look like? Life building on sand. We would look at something like Galatians chapter 5. And it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things the like. That's what he's saying, all these things, these works of the flesh. And we can all agree that all these things probably could be bad. But many of you guys are probably looking in this room and say, well, I'm not not one of those. I don't do that. I don't do this thing. I don't do this. I'm a pretty good person. I'm a good person. And we get to the place there, what we would call moralism. Moralism is where we are good in our own lives, but we haven't fully surrendered to Christ. We haven't fully surrendered to Christ surrendered to Christ. Only being good in this life, you can still miss God. Only being, just being good in your own right, you can miss God. Coming to church because you come to church because you know, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is a good thing to do. We are here in the church. I'm listening. I am putting myself in there. But being converted to church and being coming to church religiously without committing and converting your life to God, you can miss it. You can miss it. Our foundation of goodness and being good is very, very, very thin. A foundation of just being good is very, very thin. And the things that are good can change in a moment. The things that we call good can change in the moment. What if you say, hey, I'm a good spouse. I'm a good spouse. I take care of my wife. I provide for her and I'm, I'm committed to her because, you know, I love her. But what happens if that spouse cheats? What happens if that spouse, let's, let's bring that, I went to the really far end. Let me bring it back a little bit. What happens if that spouse is just having a really, really bad week? And they're just really mean and hateful to you all week long. And you're just over it. What happens? I'm a good spouse because I love my wife and I'm honoring her because she's good to me. And she takes care of me. What happens when she's not? What happens when he's not? You find your secretary. You find someone else. You get on social media and you start talking to other men. You start talking to other women. You start doing things because your foundation is in if she's good or if he's good to you. Our foundation of just being good is not good. It's very, very thin. Things will change. What happens when things just change and crumble apart? 
But if I'm committed to my wife or you are committed to your husband, your spouse, because you know what? You said, I have committed to her. I have made a vow. I've made a vow to love my wife through thick and thin. I've made a vow to commit myself to her. I have made this vow that I will love her, that I will honor her, and I will love her as Christ loved the church, and that no matter what happens, I have grace, I have mercy. Then she can do whatever she wants to do. I'd say that very lightly. <laughs> I mean, some of you guys are like, wait a minute. No. <laughs> But in, in those situations when she's not necessarily good, I still love my wife. I'm still committed to my wife. Because my foundation of being good and my foundation for honoring my marriage isn't based upon whether she's good or not. Isn't based upon whether she made me happy that day or not. My foundation is based on the idea that I love Jesus and I love my wife and I made a commitment. I made a vow. I, I've honored her. I will honor her. I will continue to love her through thick and thin. Situations change, guys. Things that we do change. Things that, that we call good will change. Is your foundation based upon the goodness of things or is your foundation based upon something that I will trust God and I will serve God and I will honor God in all that I do? The foundation of Jesus Christ does not change. It doesn't change. It's strong. It's stable. No matter what happens, the foundation of Jesus Christ does not change. Timothy Keller says this. He says, we think that we, we, the way to be saved is to repent of your sins. But Jesus shows us that you also have to repent of the very reason you did anything good at all. Sometimes we have to repent of the very th reason that we did anything good at all. Because God's not looking for religiously good people. That's not who he's, what he's looking for. There are a lot of people that are good. We don't do bad things. But there's kind of this dividing line of, you know what, we are good people. We are good people. There's this line of, I have decided to follow Jesus Christ. There's this, this decision and this choice that we make. But God's looking for people that are new. He's been looking for, for new people who are changed only by the empowering grace of Jesus Christ. By the empowering grace of Jesus Christ that people have been changed. Another writer says, self-improvement is no more God's plan than self-salvation. God's plan is not just for us to be saved by grace, but for us to live by grace. For us to live by grace in Jesus Christ. So what does building a life on a rock look like? We know that building our life on sand just kind of can look like just living for good, living to be good, living to just have. But what does it look like to build your life upon a rock? What does that look like? Looks like everything we've talked about for the last 12 weeks. That's what it looks like. Having a heart for people. To mourn over sin and to hunger and thirst after righteousness. To have a heart of love. To love our enemies. To love those that are hard of love. Having a heart of faithfulness. That we will be pure in heart. That we will ignore the lust of the flesh. We'll be faithful to our spouses. To have a heart of integrity. Integrity in your word and your commitments. Honoring the words that come out of your mouth. That the words out of your mouth have power. That they have, they have a voice. Having a heart of generosity. Giving to the needy. Serving the unseen. Serving people. Having a heart of prayer. Sincerity and humility in what that we do. A heart of devotion that we would store up our treasures in heaven. 
having a heart of trust. That we wouldn't worry as things go on, that we would trust in a Savior. Having a heart of dependence. It's the golden rule we talked about. That we would depend on Christ, that we would seek wisdom in doing into others. Having a heart of truth, the understanding that narrow gate that we talk about. Last week's message, the heart of relationships. That we would seek Jesus. That we would seek Jesus in all I do. Today, building our house upon a rock looks like building our house on a rock. Taking the words of Jesus Christ, taking what Jesus has taught us, taking the things that Jesus has given us and building our house upon a rock. Obeying these things that Jesus has taught us and building our house on the rock. I love how Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is a great reward. Does that just sum up everything for you? Does that, do those, that just put everything into a nutshell? Moreover, by this, your servant is warned. I'm warned. I've been given instructions. But in keeping them, there is great reward. Great reward. Would you stand with me? In keeping what Jesus has said, in keeping with these words, there is great, great reward. We talk and we give in a very direct scenario here, but there is a great reward in just keeping that, a reward here on earth, but an even greater reward as we enter into heaven, we enter into eternity. It's in Christ alone that we're able to do these things. Only in him and only by him. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 and 19 through 22 so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. The one who the structure is actually founded and laid. And we're building our lives upon it individually. We're building our lives individually in this spot. But he's also saying that you're being built together into a dwelling place. We are collect collectively being built as a church, as a body of believers together for his glory. If we will hear the words of Jesus Christ and apply those to our life, this is the cornerstone, this is the foundation that he has laid, and it places us into a place of a beautiful stability in life. That no matter what comes our way, no matter what situations are coming, no matter what things happen, there's stability in our life because we have our, ourselves set on a foundation. Our foundation is Jesus Christ. 
No matter when things come, when situations, when tragedy, when all these things come, we're in a place that we know what? Jesus. Jesus. Today we're going to go back into worship. We're just going to have a time of reflection here in this moment. There's a lot that's being said. There's a lot of things. And yes, there's, there's, there's even being pressure being put on us. There's a little bit of pressure being put there. Say, so, you know what? I've got responsibilities. I've got choices. I've got decisions. There's this sense of responsibility for us. And we want to provide an opportunity just for a time of reflection, a time for God to speak to your heart, a time for, for God to shine in his bright light to you, a time for him to, to share with you in this moment. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to, we're going to go back into this song. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that while you have made, you've given us decisions and allow us to make choices, Father, your word is true. Your word is beautiful. Your word is firm. But it's firm because you love us. You haven't given us a, 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 a wishy-washy road that we should deal with. You have made the path very clear. You have made the path straight. You have made it clear for us to understand Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for giving us clear direction and clear understanding of what it is to do in life. Father, I pray you would help us to understand that. You would help us to make that choice, to be a wise man, to build our house on this foundation. In Jesus' name, let's worship.